0: Welcome to the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick, and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner of the online weaving yarn shop, GIST Yarn and Fiber.
1: Hello. Welcome to this week's installment of Contextualizing Textiles, a series that focuses on interviewing textile farmers and agriculturally based weavers, artists, and designers. This week on the podcast, I'm talking with Sandy Fisher of Chico Flax. Chico Flax is a movement to promote a more self-reliant flax-to-fabric textile industry in the northern Sacramento Valley. Sandy, along with other regional growers and gardeners, grows, harvests, and processes the plant for fiber. This week's podcast episode was recorded several weeks prior to the wildfire devastation that hit Sacramento this past week. Chico, the town mentioned in this episode, was hit on its edge. Sandy is safe and her farm was unaffected, but her surrounding community has experienced a great deal of devastation. Sandy has shared a link with me for an organization that set up the Campfire Evacuation Relief Fund. It will be linked in our show notes for the episode. I encourage you all to keep their community in your thoughts. Hello, Sandy, and welcome to the Just Charm Podcast. Hello, glad to be here. Can you start out by telling us about your background and sharing how you found your way towards farming?
0: Yes, um, it was kind of an unexpected way. Um, I've been a professional weaver for over 30 years, and um, I got a phone call uh, about 2012, from a local uh, individual who was concerned because um, textiles, as we know it today, are manufactured under really harsh conditions. And this happened to be the Bangladesh uh, fire uh, that uh, concerned her. She says, you know what? I don't want to buy clothing that comes from manufactured in, in you know, with this people being abused. What are local weavers doing? And I said, well, I could make you some fabric, and um, where I live in the summer it can be quite hot. Okay, and we're looking for something locally sourced. Well, wool and alpaca, yes, but it's 110. So I said, let's get together, and we went to her house. And in the house was, I mean, in her in her garden, excuse me, at her house uh, was some flax growing. And I said, boy, let's grow that and, and um, make some flax, which turns into linen. And so there the journey began.
1: Wow. So how much flax was she growing? Oh, just, it was mainly the decorative
0: flax in her garden. And so I said, well, I'll see if I can get some seeds and um, I'll grow some in my garden. So it started uh, with her and myself and maybe four or five other people that decided this was a great idea. Let's make something local. Let's make a fabric that could be woven let's call it, because my town is Chico, California, let's call it a Chico cloth. So um, over many, many months we'd get together and 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 see this vision of making something locally. Uh, By spring, this was in the summer, by spring we actually were able to get some seeds and we planted it um, in our various gardens. So probably four or five plots within our community.
1: And how much flax do you have to grow in order to make a piece of cloth?
0: Well, um, you need probably over at least a quarter of an acre. We did not have that, you know, when we started, because the the plots were probably only maybe a tenth of an acre when it all came together. Um, Flax, um, you only will achieve, for fiber, you only get about 10% of the actual plant goes towards the actual linen. So um, it takes a lot, um, you know, traditionally I'm going to you know, we're still learning, we're just growing and I'll, we'll get into that with some later on in our conversation, but how much we've expanded. Um, but traditionally, uh, you know, a family in the colonial time would have a quarter of an acre. And if they were really good at processing and growing it, they could yield about 25 yards of fabric. So it takes a lot to get a yard. You know, you figure there's an acre right there, essentially, you know, (laughs) to get 100 yards, say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us about the process of going from a plant to a fiber?
0: Yes. Um, It's a a 100-day growing period uh, of Mm -hmm. the the flax uh, from seed to actual harvest time. Um, And then the harvesting, you need the whole plant. So you have to pull it from the root. You don't want to just cut it. You have to pull it. Then it's laid out in the field to dry a little bit. Um, then it goes through a process called redding. And redding is either, depending on where you live, um, it, it's laid out in the field where you get morning dew on it. And it um, creates a, a gray linen from that natural bacteria that's rotting that core. That's what's the tough stuff, you know, to get to our flax linen. Um, And then there's another one called uh, water readying, which is what I do. I put it in a tank and I let it rot and decompose a little bit. And then when that's ready, it's dried again. Then I go through a process called breaking, where I actually pound the fiber down and it starts exposing the hairy fiber that I'm looking for. Then I do another one called scutching. I love these words. They're such old English words. I scutch and then I hackle, and that's a series of combs. And what I'm 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 doing when I hackle, I take the shorter fibers that separates it, which is the toe, which is also very usable in spinning and weaving. Um, and that makes shorter uh, fiber. It makes the shorter fiber. Our, what you're looking for is that really nice long linen is the term we use, and it's ready for spinning. Then it's spun, and then it actually becomes linen when it's spun.
1: <laughs> wow. And yeah. do you do all of this at your farm?
0: Yes, we do. Um, the farm is relatively new to us. Um, we acquired uh, last year... Um, Uh, It was an old, we we grew up, uh, we grew grew up, we grow, we live in a very agricultural community surrounded by a lot of almonds and walnuts and um, an old almond orchard was being torn out. And the woman that we leased the land from is a spinner who loves linen. And she knew, heard about us. And she said, well, would you be interested in growing your flax in my, on my 3.75 acre plot? Of course, we were delighted because we were ready to make that jump to grow bigger um, and to expand our our uh, volume of product so um, that's where we are and um, so we have a 3.75 acre farm and this is our first year that we're actually going to be planting our flax on it we're very excited
1: wow that's super exciting yeah are you able to plant with your own seeds
0: Yes, we are now. Um, Last year, we had to buy our seeds from the Netherlands. Um, It is very hard to get large volumes of seeds. Um, We now are providers of those seeds. Um, So if any of you, the listeners are interested, we do sell our seeds. Um, we ha- we were um, able to get a variety. They're all named after women, which I think is wonderful. So we have a Suzanne variety. Um, when we started, we were able to find a Maryland variety. Now, we are um, expanding our Mar- Maryland variety. Um, we don't have enough to sell that, but we had to order about 300 kilos from the Netherlands last year. So we're really ready to go, and we have some Suzanne from last year. So it, it expands every year. In other words, an answer to your question um, from the different varieties that we have samplings of. So our goal in the end will be that we will be, you know, sources of, of many varieties um, in the future.
1: Interesting. And what are some of the differences between the Maryland and the Suzanne variety? Well, that's
0: a really good question. Um, we, ha- um, we have a, a university on campus, I mean, on campus um, near us. And uh, we are actually um, have... L- uh, about an 80 by 80 uh, square foot plot for them uh, so they're experimenting on those varieties because I really don't know to be honest with you I've, I've got the four or five varieties I have some hand spinners working on them and they are giving me feedback um, and so that's our goal part of our out at our farm to find out which variety um, I, I might add we do have about five varieties we're experimenting with so probably by next year, I could give you that answer as to, you know, because um, uh, it, no one can tell me that. It's very interesting, um, you know, because I know in wool, you've got the sheep breeds and, you know, they have different hand and different. Uh, so we're kind of on the forefront of that. We might find that blending the varieties makes a better quality. Um, you know, that's why we have the students working and researching, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, that is super exciting. So you mentioned that you are located in Northern California. I've noticed that there are quite a few textile-based farms in the area. Um, can you speak to the surrounding community that you're a part of?
0: Well, yes, um, uh, we are part of um, the Northern California Fiber Shed, um, and that goes from the Bay Area all the way to the Oregon border. And um, we're kind of a we are a support group for each other. Um, Where um, a good example is um, some of the shorter toe yarns. I now have been able to connect with a, a wool processor uh, down in Petaluma Bay Area, and she's working on spinning her fibers together. Um, so we network together, and we support each other that way. Um, so you don't feel so alone, you know, because because I feel sometimes I'm this crazy woman growing my fiber, <laughs> and yet there's other people out there, and you know we're all we're all. Um, Kind of a family and let's have something locally sourced, you know, let's let's provide for our local community. And if we could reach out and if you're interested out where you are, you know, we could we could definitely send it to you. But um, that whole idea of the local community is really important for um, our basis of, of why we're doing what we're doing.
1: Yeah, that's super interesting that you mentioned um, sort of feeling like, you know, you're alone and growing your fibers. It's kind of like something that I experience a lot in my journey where it's like I'm looking to start small and sort of grow and, and also to learn um, learn different ways of cultivating. Can you speak to the things that have kept you inspired in this journey?
0: You know, I think... There's a couple things. Um, Northern California you know flax grows normally in the spring, and um, out in the East Coast, it's a very common thing to have it because your winters are so harsh that you would start planting probably in I'm not sure April, May. Well, we started harvesting planting ours in the in our winter um, really late, meaning like February, March. And in May, it's not uncommon to have hundred degree weather here. So this is one of the things that got me going is that we found we could grow our flax in the winter. So we're going to actually be planting in November um, on our new acreage. Um, it's an annual. And so it grows a little bit and we, we can get some pretty cold weather in January, nothing, you know, no snow or anything like that, but pretty cold for maybe 19 degree weather um, uh, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. We we experimented uh, by planting when you're in my garden in Thanksgiving Day. And uh, a local farmer said, well, it's an annual. Here you annuals can grow in the winter. Try it. So, okay. So I put it in and it grew a little bit. And then come January, we had this frost. It had come up about maybe six inches. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to lose it. I go out there. It could tolerate a little bit of frost, a cold like that, that 19 degree weather. So... Um, we then go, wow, I also didn't have to water it. And we are in a drought out here because the little bit of rain we got was enough for it. And come February, it was already in the ground. And that's when we get the 70 degree weather. It loves that. It loves 80 degree weather. So then it starts really doing its hundred days. And by April, we're harvesting it. So that was one thing It's going, wow we can grow this in the winter and what a great thing for farmers who have their fields dormant, you know, sitting there. Um, so it's kind of, this could be a, an overwinter crop for some people. Cause we do that with wheat out here. Um, so that was kind of inspiring. So that kind of kept me going. Um, the other thing is that I kept getting people going, I want some of your linen, you know, and it's like, wow, you know, I mean, linen is traditionally, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but there are no linen mills in America. So it's like, we want to have one, you know, I mean, eventually um, I see that being where farmers around us could grow it. And when we could be here in Tico, the, the local for Northern California. Um, so there's this, I keep getting green lights. Every time I, I do something, it's like, yeah, okay. You know, so it just keeps blossoming <laughs> like the flower, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's super interesting so it's kind of like a, a summer crop i'm i'm sorry it's kind of like a cover crop cover crop
0: winter yes exactly for us here
1: i've noticed that there isn't a lot of linen to be found you know in stores and shopping i recently went with my father because he likes linen suits for the summertime and we were looking and we literally only found like two, two suits on like one rack in a store. And I was just thinking a lot about your farm and do you, can you speak to maybe what it would be like to scale linen production or what could be the potentials for linen processing in America?
0: Oh, yeah. I definitely think that there is a resurgence. It's kind of a a niche market right now, but it's definitely growing. And I think that um, because it's so labor intense, I think that's that's what we have to kind of overcome. You know, we have to find a way to get it automated because I'm using tools that are from the colonial period. <laughs> you, know, no, no joke. <laughs> you know, and I think that I, I think that there's a real passion for people. I mean, once people have tried, you know, worn linen, like your dad's looking for a suit and he really likes it, you know, um, I think that um, the market's there. I mean, there are already people that are marketing um, like linen sheets and, and they come from Europe, you know. Um, and, but I think that in America, you know, with that idea that something can be locally sourced, that movement I think we're going to have it. I think it will be very popular here. Um, there's another neat think factor besides the linen itself is just, you know, when I said it was only 10% is good for linen, there's a lot of byproduct. And um, they're finding that it's such a tough material that you could even easily um, replace plastics in plexiglass. Um, I was doing some research and there's a guitar company that's using it to make Their guitar, their wood for their guitar, so it's it's multifaceted where we can enter linen into other things. You know, that's why I brought that up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so it's like it's also useful as a agricultural byproduct. Exactly. Yeah. So, have you employed any sustainable methods on your farm?
0: Yes, Um, we um, actually were received a grant. Um, from the California Food and Agriculture Department. Um, It was called the Healthy Healthy Soils Initiative. And um, we're actually practicing it right now. Um, What it is, um, uh, is that I'm growing a hedgerow around this new... Remember, I told you earlier that it was just an orchard that came out, so we had this open field... So right now, we've been the last three weeks, weekends, and this is the next one more weekend coming up, where we've planted a hedgerow of California natives, and that hedgerow will be a windbreaker. It will carbon sequester um, the area by, you know, also bringing habitat, um, bees and birds. And then um, the other part of this grant that we're doing is when we are uh Part of our, our 3.75 acres will be our flax, but the other will be a, a winter cover crop of, you know, like vetch and um, rye and different a mix of different um, plants. So that um, we're bringing, we're, we're healing the soil because um, one of the things we found is that after the orchard went out, we did plant a little bit of it last winter that we were seeing the lines where the trees were and where they weren't. And what was in that soil was um, some pre-emergence still. So we're healing that because I I called the local farm bureau and I said, well, what's the deal here? Well, it does stay in the ground for as much as they said, I think they said up to 18 months, you know, Um, and it was like, oh my gosh, because we're totally doing everything totally organic. So, um, uh You know we're healing, so I'm looking at this as what a great opportunity when we got the grant to you know implement these practices and to start our flax growing this winter in a really healthy situation. So um, it's a whole cycle because you know the, the flax is carbon sequestering obviously when it's growing, but then when it's not there, we can put another kind of like a summer cover, cover crop in at this point um, to implement with the grant, and then of course as the hedge, grow, hedge row grows which the hedge grow is 14 linear feet. So it's big. (laughs) So it's going to be really beautiful when it all comes, comes starts growing right now. There's little plants, but anyway, that's, that's how we're starting it um, to implement those practices.
1: Can you explain to our listeners what you mean by carbon sequestration?
0: Okay. Well, um, healthy plants, um, give off really good carbon, like so much, um, uh, it, it, it's always, you know, I'm still kind of learning. So to say it right is going to excuse me for being kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's basically, um, you know, a car gives off some really bad carbon, and so what the plants do, it, it heals the air, it heals the environment. Essentially, that's what carbon sequestering is. It's the soil actually is is giving off a good a good uh, carbon so that it cleans the air for us and um, helps with climate change and Those,
1: (laughs) so it helps build the nutrients in the soil. Thank you. That exactly clean the air and things like that.
0: Yeah, and besides bringing habitat back
1: too, which is a win-win
0: for everything. Mm
1: -hmm. I've actually noticed that with a lot of um, a lot of textile crops that they um, can be used as cover crops because they help build the nutrients in the soil. Mm -hmm. Um, Like indigo, it's leguminous, so. It's helpful in that way. Um, Can you speak to maybe some of the difficulties or struggles or if any that you've had with having an organic farm?
0: Um, Well, partly is, you know, um, the environment around. I mean, uh, you know, I'm kind of in an area where on one side there's nothing really growing. So that's good. Um, I haven't had... Uh, you know, I know in parts because, well, again, we've just acquired this farm, so I don't really know how to answer that effectively until I've planted and seen what's going on. But I know that you know I'm in a county where there's a lot of pesticides and herbicides, not too far away. So, um, and with the wind, you know, it's going to be a challenge to be honest with you where I am. So, um, but I can practice. I mean, for one thing, the the flax itself is pretty free of any kind of pests um so i think we're going to be we're we're good on that part just because of the plant i'm using so you can see that i'm i'm learning all these things and so in another year i could probably answer that question better of how i can best maintain it i can personally maintain it within that 3.75 acre but again you know i have to look at what's around me so Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i definitely know that scaling up and and being able to um I guess, sort of keep a hold of pests and things like that can become more of a challenge.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, when, from the small garden, it has not been a problem. But I do know that that flax doesn't seem to bring a lot of pests. And, um, you know, with the my my learning experience with the cover crop is that we're going we'd love to we are one of our little uh Dreams is to have a non-till tiller. And so uh, we can actually mulch that cover crop right down and plant and seed right on top of it so that, you know, that's going to maintain the weeds. So I'm really excited to try that on a big scale, which we will have that opportunity um, this winter or this spring when we're harvesting that
1: down. Mm. One of the quotes that I pulled from your website um, is a Gandhi quote, and it spoke to how Gandhi felt that hand spun and hand woven cloth could foster the idea of self reliance. How has that inspired the way that you produce your textiles?
0: Um, again, it's just back to that that passion of locally sourced uh, materials um, that we can we can have that growing here. That we can process it here, and um, the idea of bringing our community together—I um, see such pleasure. I mean, right now it's been a lot of volunteers. You know, they're they're out there putting that hedgerow in, making knowing that they're making a difference. I think that's the key. You know, that we are um, contributing to something in our community, not only for our environment but for our own personal health of being outside and doing things to help um, our other humankind um, and that, that eventually that we can make something that we can proudly wear and say that I saw this as a plant, I you know, I had something on a part of this uh, um, and I'm now wearing it. And then as I wear it, I think the whole, it's like a cycle and that we're part of that cycle, you know, I think that that's where we're, we're, we're um, keeping Gandhi's goal in mind in the forefront.
1: And Do you have any new projects?
0: Um, the latest one is is um, being able to market our work. I mean, we're working on that. Um, uh, one of the the uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're members of we're producer members of Fibershed, and um, they just opened up a Fibershed marketplace where you can go and buy. Um, uh, anywhere you are, California, you know, Northern California, wools and, and flax um, to spin. So that's one area we're kind of working on that end aspect of it. Um, and um, that's, and, and and also I've been branching out with, with local spinners to actually spin it into yarn so that we could um, offer that as a source for other weavers. So um I think that would be our latest goal right now, besides the growing (laughs) on a big scale. Mm -hmm.
1: You mentioned that you are a weaver as well. Where can people go on social media to follow your work and your farm?
0: Um, The social media for um, my work is sandyfisherwoven.com. For the flax, it's um, uh, www.chicoflax.com for our websites. Um, Facebook is Chico Flax and Instagram is Chico Flax to Linen so we have three main sources there
1: and do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts who want to support farmers
0: Um, look and see what's going on in your community and, and if there's someone who's got some sheep and you can purchase some of their fleece and they even, some, a lot of small farms, um, are now, you know, can take that to a mill and get it spun by all means, think locally sourced. I mean, that was my big eye opener, you know, is where does my yarn come from? And look around you and see. And, you know, there's fiber sheds everywhere in America now. I mean, we're all over the place and, 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 um, buy the, the yarns from them. And honor that where it comes from. And you might even get to know the sheep, you know, and know its name. Or you get to see the linen growing in the field and know that you're contributing to to part of that and supporting it and putting that in your artwork, you know.
1: That's awesome. It's been great talking to you today and learning about the process. Thank you. I enjoyed talking to you as well. Thank you. That's a wrap. I really enjoyed talking with Sandy this week, and I hope you all enjoy the episode as well. Links to Sandy's website, as well as to Relief Efforts in Sacramento, can be reached by visiting our show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode 41. Next week on the podcast, Sarah is talking with Ashley Thurman and Beth Mayer, the amazing folks behind FiberShare. Tune in next Monday for that episode. And until next time, happy weaving!